Well, good evening. Uh, before we turn to our business meeting, if you would open up your Bible and join me in uh, the book of Psalm. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 4 tonight. So I'm going to read all of it. It's eight verses. Psalm chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. God's word says this. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your own beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who will say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. May God bless the reading of his word when his people are together. So as we have gone through um, our study of the Old Testament... Going through in Sunday school, keeping it with our reading, there has been a word that continues to catch my attention. And it's a very simple word. It's a very basic word. It's the word way, W-A-Y. And in Hebrew, that word way is direct. And it means path. It means journey. It can mean the manner of your life, the overall bent or direction of your life that's used in Passages all throughout the Old Testament, it's, it's used over 700 times, actually. In Genesis six twelve, it says, And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all the flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And now, uh, Deuteronomy ten twelve. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord and to walk in his ways, to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Uh, David cries out, in Psalm 139, 24, see if there is any grievous way in me. And one more in, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verse 17, her ways, meaning pro, uh, wisdom, her ways are pleasantness and all her paths are peace. So what does this word have to do with Psalm chapter 4? Well, as I read Psalm chapter 4, I see a godly man who is near the end of his journey, who is near the end of his life. And what he writes to us in this beautiful prayer, he's not writing from some ivory tower. He's writing from the school of hard knocks. He has had a hard life. It's King David. And I believe we can observe here five things that God has inspired for us that I hope will sustain you, that will encourage you on your way, on your path, in the manner of your life. Uh, so understand this about this particular psalm. It is a psalm that begins with 55 assignments, if you will, that are, it says there, at kind of near the big four, to the choir master with stringed instruments. It's written 
by David for the worship leader in Israel uh, to be sung with instruments. Uh, A lot of times, Psalm chapter 3 is considered the morning psalm. Because in verse 5, it says, uh, I lay down and sleep, I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. And chapter 4 is sometimes called the nighttime psalm. Because of verse 8, in peace I both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So um, here are five inspired pillars, if you will, that I hope will encourage you on your way, on the narrow path. The first one we we observe here in verse 1, the godly trust in the righteousness of God. The godly trust in the righteousness of God. Answer me when I call out of Uh, When I call to you, O God of my righteousness, you have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. You can hear the desperation in his voice. And you notice that David's confidence in God hearing what he has to say has nothing to do with what he can do for God, but rather what God has done for him and what God has done to him throughout his life. David acknowledges, right off the bat, there is not good in him, in and of himself, of anything that has not come to him by grace through faith in the Lord. David also acknowledges that in the past, for him personally, he has been comforted by the Lord, and that is why in the present, he's going to continue to come to him again and again and again. Do we approach God that way? Do we approach God with such confidence? You know, I think a lot of times, you and I, uh, we, can, we can judge our own walk with God based on our behavior, on how we've been doing. Have we been doing good? Have we not been sinning? Have we been sinning? We're always sinning, but sometimes we're aware of it, sometimes we're not. Uh, but what we can determine how God loves us or if he wants us if he wants to hear from us based on how we're doing and that's not the gospel right the good news is the good news uh, not because of me but the good news is the good news is, is is in spite of me and is because of Christ and because of what Christ has done for me the fact is that when when we were dead in our sins and trespasses Jesus did not cry out on the cross it is starting right he cried out what it is finished. It is finished. You know, uh, last week I was talking to uh, a Marine that I met at the gym, and we started talking about the Lord, and he was uh, Catholic, and so we started talking, and we started talking about salvation. We started talking about the gospel, and it was interesting. I've never had someone say this before, but uh, maybe it's because he was a Marine. He felt okay saying, so he's like, man, that's, that's really arrogant of you to be trusting in the righteousness of Christ alone. So like you're saying, you don't have to do, like you can't, you can't work for your salvation? Like you can't do anything to like add to it or to achieve any merit of yourself? I'm like, no. And I don't think that's arrogant. I think it's biblical. Because... Yeah, so, we, and we went into it from there. But the fact of the matter is, is that people want to, they want to earn something. They want to work for something. But that's not the kingdom of God. And I think sometimes, even for us uh, who, who are Reformed, we can, we can have all the right doctrine on paper. But in practice, 
if we're not careful, we can feel because I'm dirty or because I, I have not been uh, living up to the standard that I should be that I'm going to neglect coming to the Lord. And that's not what we see here in, in verse 1. True godliness never comes as a result of our own efforts. However, true godliness and sanctification is not going to be achieved apart from our efforts either, right? And so the second thing we see here is that the godly see the godless or observe the godless around them, but they keep their eyes on the Lord. Look with me at verse 2. O men, how long, uh, verse 2 through 3, O men, how long shall my shame be be, uh, shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know this, the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. We hear this confidence in his voice. And the godly, again, see what is not of God around them. They are sensitive to what is not of God around them because their lives are saturated with God. They're saturated with his spirit. They're saturated with his word. They are around, the godly people are around other godly people. So they're sensitive to it. And that's a good thing. Uh, For David, this was probably the period in time of his life when you remember Absalom, his son, was after him, right? His son uh, grows up and it says that he stole the heart of the people out from David, and he's, he's using this power, he's using this influence that he's gained in order to try to steal the crown from his father and, and subsequently try to take his life as well. And David observes all this, but at the end of the day, his focus is on the Lord who keeps him alive, who sustains him day by day. The Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Oh, that's beautiful. The Lord has set apart the godly for himself, not for their selves. Not for their selves. And the fact of the matter is, Hebrews tells us, the most miserable people in the world are those who have been made holy, who've been set apart by the blood of Christ, but who continue to walk in a spirit and in an attitude of willful rebellion against the Lord and against his word. Have you ever stopped and considered that maybe one of the worst things that the Lord could allow to happen in our lives is that we become satisfied and we become happy with the sin that we're chasing? Is that he would allow us to be satisfied with the things that we want that are apart from him? Because the fact is we are set apart for him, not to be set apart from him. And praise God for those seasons when we walk outside of his will. And hopefully it brings about repentance and greater fellowship with him. And so the godly see what is evil and what is not of the Lord around them. But their focus, their eyes are on the Lord because they themselves have been set apart for the Lord and for his purposes. As we continue on, we look and we see in verse 5. It says, be angry. And do not sin. We do pretty good with the first part of that verse, right? I mean, the first two words of that verse, probably none of us have a difficulty obeying that command. 
The godly, number three, walk according to the Spirit and worship according to the Word of God. We also see in verse um, in verse five, verse five as well, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Be angry. None of us probably have a problem with that. Um, you might not, you might say, okay, well, I'm I'm not really an angry person, but how would you do with the actual Hebrew, which is it says be agitated. Okay, all of us know what it's like to be agitated. And when agitated, this verse instructs us, it informs us that we are to get alone with the Lord, we are to quiet ourselves before Him with no distractions, and we are to do something. We are to consider Him, we are to consider His faithfulness, His justice, His ability to resolve whatever situation it is, maybe in a way that we could never imagine. That is the heart of faith. And in reverent fear and quiet, we trust him. We trust him in our heart when no one else is around. This is not saying that there's not a time to act or to speak when there is something that's agitating or frustrating or causing righteous anger. But all too often, if we're honest, our anger and our agitation does lead to sin. It does lead to sin. You know, uh, we talked about this in Sunday school this morning, but uh, the older my kids get, the more I see myself in them, whether it be for the good or for the bad. And just this past week, um, Molly wanted a snack, and so she went to the pantry and I informed her of what she could have as a snack at that time that was appropriate, and of course she wanted a cookie or something. And so she got angry, and she slammed the pantry door, and she punched the door. Never seen her do that before. And she just started bawling. And I was, I was just ready to grab her and ready to pick her up, because the spirit just mm, really got me. I was like, that's you. That is you right there. We get angry and we just try to take things into our own hands. And one way or the other, instead of waiting on the Lord, instead of pondering in our own hearts, right? And this is a work of the Spirit of God. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Mike. Patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Psalm 101, too, says, I will ponder the way, the direct, that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? Speaking to the Lord. I will walk in integrity. I will walk with integrity, with heart, within my house. Ponder. Ponder. Thinking, um, a way of thinking that leads to wise behavior. A way of thinking that leads to wise behavior. And when God's grace comes and we do this, he enables us to walk in integrity, right? And even the most difficult places in our own home, the hardest place to walk in integrity. So the godly not only walk according to the Spirit, they worship according to the Word of God. They offer right sacrifices, which the sacrifices that the Lord uh, approves of or pleased, is pleased by our internal sacrifices, sacrifices of the heart, trusting in him. 
right? It's not just a matter of singing or what we can do for him, but a matter of the heart. The godly walk according to the Spirit and worship according to God's word. We also see in verse 6 through 7 here that the godly want God. Look at this. The godly want God to define in their lives what is good. The godly allow God, they want God, they let God define what is good in their lives, and so they become free to delight in Him above everything else. That's verse 7. There are many who say, who are the many? He's talking about the godly, back from verse 3. There are many godly who say, who will show us some good. And this is not a pessimistic thing like, there's nothing good. Who, where am I going to see good? Is there anything good in life? This is, a, this is an optimistic thing. This is a positive thing like, oh God, show me what is good. But it's a blank check kind of good, right? Lift up your eyes and face upon me, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when grain and when wine abound. David says... That sometimes the godly pray an unspecific type of prayer. An unspecific type of prayer. You say, well, what do I mean by that? I'm not talking about um, like an unspoken prayer request. (laughs) Those are so frustrating. Uh, But this is the type of prayer where he says, God, show me what is pleasant. Show me what is good. Show me your favor. And I'm going to let you just decide what that means. I'm going to let you decide what that looks like. Give me the right perspective on my life right now that's a good perspective based on your promises, not according to what I see. This is not Christianity 101, right? This is hard. This is hard stuff. And oftentimes, a prayer like this comes at a difficult moment in our life. You know, if one of my children is very sick, and I've tried everything I can at home, and I I can't do, I can't help them get better, I'm going to go to the doctor, but you know what I'm not going to do when I get to the doctor? I'm not going to look at them and say, they need this medicine. Now, that would be arrogant. You say, well, then why are you here? <laughs> no, you go to the doctor, and they examine her, and they determine what's good. And they determine what type of medicine she needs to get better. And we do, or we should do, the same thing with the Lord. When we believe that God is truly the source of everything good, as James 1.17 clearly says, then we will come to him and we will allow him to do, we will allow him to allow, not that we allow him anyway, but in our heart we relinquish that to God. Whatever good he decides is good uh, in our lives. I hope that makes sense. But it made me think, this, this principle we see here uh, in verse 6 made me think of one of my favorite uh, old hymns, um, God Works in Mysterious Ways. And it has a verse in there that says, 
that his purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Sweet will be the flower. And uh, it was C.S. Lewis uh, who once said, and I'm just paraphrasing, but he said something along the lines of, you know, if, and he's talking about Christians, as, for, as, as Christians, if there's something, uh, or if, if there's something in me that I find does not satisfy me in this world, maybe it's because I'm made for another world, right? And the wine and the grain are great, but they don't sustain us, they don't satisfy us, they don't save us or comfort us like he does. Now, verse 7 Uh, just so we're clear, uh, is not saying that we should not enjoy food, that we should not enjoy drink, but rather that what God has to offer us is far better than anything that we can, like, physically have, right? And that's what Jesus meant when when he says to the woman at the well, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, then you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water, eternal life. And so, uh, here's the thing. If God in his word is what defines and what guides what is good, what is pleasant, what is perfect in our mind and in our lives, that does not mean that our life is going to be free from pain, free from suffering. But we do have a promise of peace in the midst of those things, right? Jesus says to the disciples that you will have tribulation, you'll have hard things in this world, in this life, but take heart because I have overcome all that. And you can have peace in me, in those things. And you notice he says in verse seven that you have put more joy in my heart. This is not, so This person he's describing, this godly person he's describing, did not acquire a taste for God greater than wine and grain. This is something that was born of God, something that was given of God. And that's what's so beautiful about divine grace, about the grace of God, that it's so powerful, it's so transformative, that that in a Christian, it does not act apart from our desires, but it actually acts with our desires, I was reminded of this as uh, Brooke has twisted my arm enough now to read Gentle and Lowly, because she loved it so much. But I was reminded of this the other night when I was reading this. Uh, David Ortland Ortland says, while the Father is clearly sovereign, is clearly the sovereign overseer of our redemption, we are not dragged kicking and screaming into Christ against our will. Divine grace is so radical that it reaches down and it turns around our very desires. And that's one of the fruits, that's one of the evidences of our salvation, is that we actually long for God. We actually love God. We actually have a heart for God because he gave it to us. So along the narrow road, along the narrow path, we, we, we learn that God alone knows what is good for us and does only what is good to us. And those who taste and see that he is good will come and find comfort in him and find delight in him. 
The final thing we see, I want us to note, I know we're kind of going through these quickly. Uh, I'll recap at the end. But the, the, the last thing we see here in verse 8, is very beautiful, is that the godly are not only uh, freed to enjoy God and allow God to define what is good in their life, but the godly are able to lie down at night and sleep. Verse 8, in peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The godly person is able to go to sleep at night. Uh, this is, uh, the, I, I was thinking about this too. Um, hopefully Tommy's listening to this first because this is our night verse at home. Before we go to bed, we, we recite this, that it's in the Lord that we lay down and we're able to sleep. And, you know, as I talk to people, sleep is a, is a chronic problem with, for a lot of people, probably for, for, for some of us too, right? Um, sleep can be hard to come by. If you don't get quality sleep, you can have things such as brain fog, exhaustion, and then you can, that can lead to accidents, uh, increased risk of cardiovascular disease, moodiness, anxiety, depression, a weakened immune system, which can lead to sickness, and, and, and then that, that leading into other disease and weight gain and all sorts of things that are not good for our health. And it makes you really think when you read verses like Psalm 121.4 that say God doesn't sleep. He who oversees Israel does not slumber or sleep. God doesn't need sleep. God does not need to be recharged, right? Our phones and us have that in common. They have to be recharged. God doesn't need that. He's the source of all power and strength. But we need sleep. And so there's this thing that occurs every 24 hours that reminds us that we are limited creatures. We are limited. And those of us who refuse that healthy cycle, that healthy rhythm, and burn the candle at both ends, so to speak, you know what that means, right? Burning the candle at both ends. It means when it's dark, you're up early burning the candle, and when it's dark at night, you're up early burning the candle. And you know, there are seasons, there are times that we have to push through and we have to, we have to do things. But I don't believe personally that's a, a healthy thing for us to do if we want to live a godly life. We need sleep. We need rest. And there can be all sorts of reasons why we don't get good sleep, diet, physical exercise, anxiety about certain situations. But I want to address the spiritual aspect here, verse 8, and answer the question... Why are the godly able to sleep? Why are the godly able to sleep? And here's the thing. The godly person has disciplined himself to lay down at night, to put his work down, knowing that there's going to be another day, there's going to be grace for another day, but that today he needs to rest. And when his head hits the pillow, or whatever David used to sleep on, I'm I don't know what they slept on in those days, but when his head hits the pillow, if, if all these things start raging into his mind, if his conscience is disquieted about his sin, things he should have said, things he should not have said, things that would happen in the future, worrying, if he considers all these things and they haunt him and keep him awake at night, he takes these things and he lays them at his heavenly father's feet. And he says, Lord, 
These things are too heavy for me right now. So I cast them on you. I cast them on you. And he believes in his heart that God is for him, that God is there with him, and that even if he might breathe his last tonight, that God would bring him safely home. And quite honestly, this was a real possibility for David. His son Absalom was after him, and he wanted his life. But it says in peace, he lies down and sleeps because it is the Lord who makes him dwell in safety. He closes his eyes, and in peace, God gives him sleep. Because ultimately, his life is in God's hands, and in that, he feels secure, and in that, he feels safe. And so I hope these things encourage you on your way, on your path, on your overall manner of life. If you're a child of God, God has redeemed you, and you are saved by the blood of Christ, not by your works, but God has saved you so that you could be rich in good works. And so just keep in mind the godly, the godly are those who trust in the righteousness of God. They see the godlessness around them, but they keep their eyes on the Lord. They walk according to the Spirit, and they worship according to the Word. They want God to define what is good for them, and so they're able to delight in Him above everything else. And at the end of the day, at the end of of every day that God gives them by grace, they're able to lie down and sleep because it's God who is their peace and it's God who grants them rest. All right, let's pray, brothers and sisters. Father, thank you that you've given us this day of rest. I hope it was a day of rest for us, Lord. Thank you for allowing us, God, to gather together. Lord, to fellowship together, to talk about your business, Lord, and your church together. Lord, this is your church. We are your people called by your name, and we want to do your will, Father. Lord, help us on our way. Help us on our path. I pray that our our bent, our overall manner of life would be pleasing to you this week, that we would seek you first and your kingdom first, that we'd seek to advance your kingdom that we'd love and pray for one another and for our families. Lord, I just commit the rest of this evening to you and ask that you bless our time together as we talk about your business in in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.